Well, good morning and welcome back as we continue on our message series, The Last Supper on the Moon. We're in week three, getting off the ground. And just a reminder, this whole series is taken from a book by the same title, Last Supper on the Moon by Levi Lusco. If you want to read a little bit more, I encourage you. It's a good book, a good read. You can check it out there. But you know, the Gospel of John, as we go in through this series, highlights seven signs, seven miracles that are constantly pointing towards who Jesus is, what he's all about, and what, who he wants to be within us and through us. And ultimately, the heart of God is the desire to get us off the ground. You know, NASA's focus was just that, <clears throat> to get mankind off the earth into the heavens, to the moon that was 240,000 miles away. But there's just one small little problem they had, they had to overcome. This thing called gravity. If you ever went to science class, you've learned about gravity. What goes up must come down, right? Gravity imposes a little bit of a problem with getting up into the air, into space. You know, it's constantly pulling us down. And I think so often in our life and in our journey, spiritually and emotionally, there are so many things that are constantly just pulling us down. These invisible forces that are at war all the time, every single day, for you and for me, for my mind and my heart, and your mind and your heart. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says that our problem, our battle, is not against flesh and blood or against the principles or the principalities of this world. Our problem and our battle are against the principalities that are of the other world, the invisible forces that are constantly pulling us down. NASA's goal was in this mission race to get us up into the heavens. And God's plan for your life is for us all to set our minds and our hearts on things that are above, things that are not seen, things that are bigger and beyond what we can even comprehend, seeing the bigger picture of what God has for us. But you know, for the NASA program, in order for them to get off the ground, to complete their missions, to do what they were, called, what they were trying to do, they had to take a step back and begin training in a swimming pool. That's where all the training takes place. The first seven astronauts, if you remember the history books, were the Mercury 7. There's a picture of them right there. These seven astronauts began the process of training in their, in their pool. And Buzz Aldrin, one of his first missions was actually to do a spacewalk in space. And in order for him to do that, he had to train in the swimming pool. And you see this next picture. Here's Buzz Aldrin training in the swimming pool with all the scuba divers all around him to protect him and take care of him. And then once he was done with his training, this third picture, you see Buzz Aldrin completing what he was training all that time in what was the first spacewalk known to man by Buzz Aldrin doing everything that he trained there. This was on the Gemini 12. And this led NASA to create, realize we need to create bigger poles so we can even accomplish bigger missions. And they developed what is known as the buoyancy lab. If you go to Houston, you can see it. It is the largest indoor pole on the planet. It houses things like the simulation of the International Space Station, which is the size of a football field. This swimming pool is 400 feet long, 200 feet wide, and four stories tall. 
they go underwater for hours. In fact, for each astronaut, for every hour of spacewalk that they do, they need to spend 10 hours in a swimming pool training for it because of all the hardships and the difficulties to, that, that, that they need to overcome in space to, to practice being weightless in, in outer space and also to make sure they're, they're, what they're wearing is going to work. Because if they have one small hole in their garment, in their, in, their, in their outfit, it's death. It's over. The mission is done. And so they spend hours training in a pool just to get off the ground. And it's amazing. In the story we're going to be talking about today, we run into this man who has an encounter with Jesus sitting by the pool. He's sitting by the pool waiting for something significant to happen. And Jesus comes along to call him to leave the pool, leave that place for something bigger and better. See, at this time, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. And the Bible says that he went to a place near the Sheep Gate. And this place was, by the Sheep Gate, was a place that had a pool. And this pool in Hebrew was called Bethesda. And at Bethesda, there was these five porches and these five porticos. And that's where we run into our story. In John chapter 5, beginning in verse 5, it's written, A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well, picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath, and on that day, so the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it's the Sabbath, and it's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. So they asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while, the, while there was a crowd in that place. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. At this pool at Bethesda were all the sick, all the hurt, all the broken, all those who were just trying to get through life with their, with their, with their uh, struggles and with their hardships. And in verse 4, not all of our Bible translations have this, but there's a translation in verse 4 that is almost like a commentary in the story that highlights an angel at certain times would come and stir the waters. And the first person in the pool who jumped in would be healed. And there this man, as we pick up the story in verse 5 that we read, there's this man who's been sitting there for 38 years, broken, hopeless, waiting for the miracle. And all he does is sit there and complain when Jesus comes. Do you want to get well? Well, I'd love to get well, but, you know, everybody beats me to the water. I have nobody here to help me. It would be nice to get well, but I just can't. All the circumstances are against me. And Jesus tells him to get up and walk, and he heals him. And then all the people around him, the Jewish leaders who were there, saw what was going on on the Sabbath, and they began to complain and argue with him. And the man, all he can say is, it was Jesus. I mean, think about this for a moment. This man sat on this mat 
by this pool for 38 years. 38 years this man laid paralyzed on the mat. 38 years he wanted to get off the ground. For 38 years he had nobody to help him. And so here he sits in this place called Bethesda, which, oh, by the way, that's translated as the house of mercy or the house of compassion, a place that was given to the poor, to the disabled, to the desperate, to the sick, that had the five porches and, and, the, and, the, and the porticos to cover themselves from the relentless sun that, happened, that is there in the Middle East. And this is his condition. This is where he finds himself. This is his situation This is his life. He's helpless. He's hopeless. And all he's waiting for is that water to stir. The bubbles to come up from the spring that provides the water in the pool. To bubble up. And it's almost like when you're taking your kids out to get in the car and they're all riding, shotgun, and they're running to the car. You know, it's like the bubbles all of a sudden stir up and you can see all the people, shotgun, and they all jump in the pool. Who is first? That's what they're waiting for. That's their hope. And you can just imagine at these certain points that that's what happens. And whenever it could happen, whether this was actually something that would happen, that maybe it happened at some point that they say, hey, this happened to Joe 50 years ago, or if it was just some folklore that was made up, for whatever reason, they all sat there and commonly believed when the bubbles come, jump. First one in, you're healed. So imagine that scene. In your mind's eye, imagine that scene. Everyone's waiting. Everyone there is constantly watching. And nowhere else to go. Nowhere else to turn. Nothing else that they can do. And all they have is just to be sitting there hoping and waiting. Hoping for a miracle. And here this man was there for 38 years. 38 years he sat there waiting and hoping. And then Jesus came. And Jesus approached. And let's just be honest. As you read this story, that was not really what that man was hoping for. He didn't know who Jesus was at that moment in time. All he saw was this man who walked up. Maybe this will be the man who picks me up and helps me get into the water. Oh no. He asked me, do you actually want to get well? Thanks a lot. That's a great help. But then he gets healed. And I can only imagine when he's healed, when he gets up and he starts walking for the first time, he's like, I have legs. I can walk. Lieutenant Dan, I can do this. You know, he's all excited. He's jumping up and down. I encourage you to go on YouTube. One of the other Apollo missions that they walked on the moon was Apollo 16. And the astronaut by the name of John Young was up there. You know, the custom was when when they were there, they would put a flag in the ground and salute the flag. And they would all be really focused and, and, and serious. But John Young, if you watch his YouTube video on the moon, he just couldn't hold his excitement. And you see this astronaut there, he's just going, Woohoo! I'm on the moon! Look at this, guys! I'm on the moon! I'm on the moon! I can't believe it! And he's jumping with excitement. And I see that video of John Young, and all I can think of is this man by the pole when Jesus healed him, and thinking, I got legs! I can walk! This is amazing! And life had changed. I mean, can you imagine after 38 years? To be given that opportunity. But beyond, before that, that's the hopeless side of the story. The hopeless reality that this man had to walk through. Because even if this man could get in the pool, 
what was he thinking really would happen? If you've ever been to Jerusalem and you went to Bethesda, you'll see the pools. The, the archaeologists uncovered it. And I, I was there once and I was standing next to the pools and I saw how big they were and how deep they were. And I was thinking about the story and I was thinking, what happens if it didn't work? I mean, you just jump in there and hope that you don't drown? I mean, that's crazy stuff. That thing's deep. I don't, I don't get it. And when I read this story and I think about that pool, I just think of this man and I think, boy, he was hoping for a miracle. But he didn't have a plan at all. He had no plan whatsoever. He was just sitting there and hoping. And here comes Jesus with what I think is kind of a rude question. When you really think about it, that's a rude question. You just walk up to the guy who's been sitting there for 38 years, can't walk. Do you really want to get help? Do you really want to get better? Yeah, that's really nice, Jesus. Way, great way to start a conversation. Right? And he walks up there and he asks him that. And, and, and almost all the time that I read the scriptures and I see the gospel, we talked about this last week, over and over again, I see Jesus encounter people who want a healing in their life, who want Jesus to come through in some way. And every time, you can count on it, Jesus throws a curveball that challenges them to be offended. And he did it with this guy too, as well. Do you really want to get well? <laughs> you know what, Jesus... Because in those opportunities, when he challenges us to be offended, he gives us the opportunity to choose, do you really want what I have to offer or do you want to stay where you're at? What do you want? You can stay where you're at or you can follow me, you can join me. Because in being offended, Jesus provides an opportunity. An opportunity to say, you know what? Nah, I'm not gonna go with you. Or you know what? I'm going to trust you and give it a try. I'm going to trust you and walk with you. And so Jesus comes along and he asks him, do you want to be made well? As I read the story, I can't help but just kind of picture this man's face at this moment. You know, probably, he probably had some sort of reaction. I mean, I know I would have. A face of disgust, maybe of disappointment, of, of what are you thinking? And then you see the man's complaints that just begin to come through. Jesus says, do you want to get well? Well, sure I do, but no one's here to help me. I mean, everybody else beats me in the pool. And all he does is throw Jesus, here's excuse, here's excuse. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm still on the mat. And I wonder if Jesus went past all these other people to get to this man. Because maybe he saw something within his own heart. And Jesus gives him the, the command to rise up and to walk. Pick up your mat and walk. I think there's some lessons here that we need to get real with. Lessons that I know in my journey I've struggled with sometimes. I think sometimes we stay on the ground, we stay on our mat, whatever that mat is for you, because we hold on to our excuses as to why I can't get off it. I think sometimes we allow ourselves to get into patterns that keep us stuck rather than moving us forward. And I think that's what Jesus is dealing with right now with this man. You want to be free, 
you got to walk away from the patterns that you stuck yourself in. You want to be free, you got to give up your excuses. I've got something for you. And through this journey, I believe that we see five key steps to getting off the ground. And the first step is that we need to identify the false assumptions. There has to be a moment in our journey, just like for this man, that we need to be honest and identify and realize the false assumptions that we've led ourselves to believe that maybe hope is here, maybe happiness is here, maybe this is the path I should be chasing. And we kind of buy into these paths. We buy into these faulty assumptions. I mean, is it really real? This man, he believed. He put all of his hope on this pole. Everything hung on this pole. If I can just jump in there before everybody else, when that bubble stirs, then I'll be free. That's my hope. And that was, he led everything there. And I think so many times in our life we have uh, things that we hold on to, things that we believe that will bring us more happiness in our life. You know, if I just had more money, then this will happen. If I could just have this, then this would happen. And we kind of lead ourselves to believe, well, if I get this, or if I have this, or if I experience this, then I will experience happiness. And my friends, this world has ingrained within us the idea and the faulty assumption that, that we need to pursue happiness. But the sad thing is, the more we pursue happiness, the more disappointed we become. And I think this man was stuck there that Jesus was dealing with, that you are holding on to some faulty assumptions that this pool is going to save you. And we have a pool in our life, whatever it may be, that we cling to, that we think, if I get that, then. And Jesus asked, do you want to be made well? That's a challenging question. Because I think there's things in your life and in my life that Jesus really wants to free us from. But we can't find the freedom that he wants to offer until we break free from the assumptions that we hold on to. The assumptions that hold us down. And the the truth is, we try so hard to predict what will bring us happiness. When in reality, the man didn't realize it was Jesus right there. It was Jesus right there. And then when you look at life, you look at all the potential hard things that we could go through. And we just think, you know what? Because my, my mind is ingrained to chase happiness, we start to believe, if I had to deal with that, if I had to walk through that, whatever that is, we think, I just couldn't deal with it. I would, I would crumble. I just couldn't get through that. When at times, hear me out, friends, at times, maybe, just maybe, that thing you thought was the hard thing that you could not get through is the very thing that God's using to deepen you, is the very thing that God is using to make you more humble, to make you more kind, to make you more sweet. Maybe that very thing is God's growing you and preparing you for something.
Because another place in the Bible, Paul writes that we are supposed to find joy in trials. He writes, when you face trials of many kinds, rejoice. And I read those passages, I think, Paul, you're a madman. No way. I mean, there's some things that, that I, I think, boy, if I were to go through that, how in the world am I going to rejoice? But Paul writes, the Bible says, it, when hard things happen, rejoice. And we struggle with that. We don't think about rejoicing in trials because we hold on to the falsy assumptions of what truly leads to happiness. And we think, well, these trials are derailing me from achieving happiness in my life. Well, maybe God's walking you through that to experiencing him more to realize what true happiness actually is. This man, his eyes were on the water. His eyes were on the pool. And could it be that in your life, what you thought was the thing that would cure your problem is the very thing that's holding you back. Is the very thing that's keeping you from experiencing the true freedom that God has for you. This man thought that the pool was his solution. He thought the pool had the answers. But Jesus knew the pool was the problem. Trusting in the pool was the problem. Because as long as his eyes were on the pool, as long as his eyes were focused on the, maybe the waters will bubble today, he wasn't going to have his eyes on Jesus. He was going to miss the opportunity to walk with freedom that was right by his side. And for all of us, there needs to be a time in our life when we need to identify what are the faulty assumptions that we are holding on to the things that we think will bring happiness in our life, the things that we think will, will be the end-all, be-all, the freedom that we're looking for. And it's time right now in our life to renounce those in the name of Jesus and say, you know what? That is not my hope. My hope is in the one who died for me. He is the freedom. And as we move on from there, step two, we need to be willing to ask the hard questions. You know, it's, hard question, it's a hard question that Jesus asked this man. Do you want to be made well? I mean, seriously, what a crazy question. And what a hard question. And you think about it, it's a little silly, don't you think? Of course he wants to be well. But maybe as you read the story, there came a point in this man's journey that after, somewhere in 38 years, he stopped believing in hope. Maybe somewhere in the journey, he stopped even stirring the water when it was agitated, jumping to it. Maybe he stopped trying. Maybe he said, this is it. This is life. This is what I got to deal with. And maybe because of that, in his heart and his mind, he became disgruntled and disappointed and bitter. And the Bible says that the disappointment in our lives can really make our hearts sick. And I fear that too many of us are walking around with sick hearts because we've allowed disgruntledness and disappointment and bitterness to control us. And I wonder if Jesus went to this man above everybody else because he saw the reality of this man's heart. The bitterness in this man's heart. The disappointment in this man's heart. They thought, I'm not trying anymore. This is it. And I think many times for us too, 
we wrestle like this man because maybe this man sat there. You can see in his complaints, everybody else is getting healed. Everybody else is getting to the pool. Everybody else is somebody else to help me. And I wonder how many times we wrestle with that too. We tend to see, well, God's blessing them. God's doing that. God's coming through for them. God's answering their prayer. Where is he for me? You ever wrestle with that? I know I have. I think we need to ask the question. I mean, honestly, is our spirit sick? I think we all need to ask that question for real. Is my spirit sick? You know, Jesus doesn't say, let's go get you better. He's asking just like this, he asked this man, do you even want it? Do you even want to get better? Do you even want to be made well? Or maybe, just like this man, whatever your mat is in life, your hardship, your difficulties, whatever you're dealing with in life, have you become so comfortable on your mat? So used to your dysfunction that it's just, this is it. I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to stay in this spot. Has your mat become your home? Has this disappointment become the cave that you're choosing to stay in? Because Jesus does not speak to our ability. He speaks to our desire. And just like he asked this man, he asks us all the time, do you truly want to be well? Do you want to be well? That's the hard question. That's the hard question. Because with it, to get off the ground, we realize there's a cost. To experience what Jesus has for us, there's a cost. And this man could justify his bitterness because, hey, life's unfair. God's coming through for everybody else. Everybody else gets the rewards. Everybody else is jumping in the water. Everybody else has someone to pick them up and carry them over to the water. He can use that and develop bitterness and say, life's unfair. God never shined on me. But the moment he was calling, God gave him a, a, an opportunity to choose. Sir, you can either remain on that mat and be a victim, or you can rise up and experience the victory. And I think he's challenging us to do the same thing. Wherever we're at, to follow him, to experience his victory. You know, and, and I know it comes with a cost and a challenge. This man had to get up and think, I have to go back to the house of mercy, to this place, to all the people who are experiencing the same thing I've experienced for 38 years and kind of share what happened in my life to tell them my story. And, and I think for us so many times where we deal with the loaded question, do you really want to get well? Because I know what comes with it. And I have to ask myself, do I really want to try again? Do I really want to make this relationship work? Do I really want to, to make this issue be dealt with in my life? Whatever it may be. That's the hard question. Will you get off your mat and trust him as the answer? And then once you get off the ground and reject the false assumptions and ask the hard questions, step three is it involves listening to the right voices. I find it intriguing that almost instantly after this man was healed, he got up, he picked up his mat, and right away he had to deal with all the people who began to argue with him. 
What are you doing? It's the Sabbath. Why are you carrying your mat? Get back on the ground. And I think this man was wrestling with that. Jesus, Jesus did not just say rise and walk. He said pick up your mat. Pick up your bed. Which was the Sabbath. Which was according to scripture. Not true scripture. But the, 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 the belief and the interpretation they had for the day. That you couldn't do anything. They made it into this religious uh, bracketed uh, thing of roles. When God developed the Sabbath for an opportunity of rest. After a hard week's work, an opportunity to sit back and reflect and rest, experience your relationships, experience your relationship with God. And you go through all the Gospels, and over and over again, Jesus did miracles on the Sabbath. Seven times. And each time he proved a point. And he said, only God can do work on the Sabbath. And he's like, I am. I am. I'm here. I'm the Messiah. But these voices were trying to pull this man down. Trying to hold him back. Put him back on the ground. And my friends, there will always be voices in your life that would rather you stay on the ground. That would, you would rather not you get up. Because misery loves company. It does. And everybody has someone in their mind who is more dysfunctional than them, a little bit more messed up, you know, so we can go around and say, well, I'm, at least I'm not as bad as that person, right? And then when that person rises up, then you get a little bitter and angry because, wait a minute, why are they doing good? Why is life blessing them? What's going on here? Because we have nobody to point to anymore. And that's exactly what I think was going on with the Pharisees that day. This man has to choose. Which voice am I going to listen to? The voice that are telling me, you know what? You better knock it off. Get back on the mat. The voice that should be celebrating. This man's healed. But no, they're saying get back on the mat. Or am I going to listen to the voice of God? Who's telling me to rise up and walk. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with the wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer, suffer harm. In Psalm 1 it says this, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And, it's, and, in, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Who you surround yourself with matters. And here's the hard thing that some of us need to face. Some of us are being held back from experiencing the freedom that God has for us, walking the path that God wants us to walk, because we allow too many voices that surround us to pull us down. And some of you may have some people in your life that you need to step away from. That's the hard thing. Because they're pulling you down. They're keeping you on your mat. They're holding you back from rising up and following Jesus and experiencing the freedom that he has. 
I know some of you think, well, I need to be light in their life. I need to be Jesus for them. I need to, I need to, I need to, to, to let my light shine for them. But sometimes, guys, let's be honest. You might not be strong enough to be their light right now. And rather than you being their light, they're pulling you down. There might be a time when you get stronger and you can become light in their life. But now might not be the time. And some of you may have some people who say, you know what? I got to move on from this relationship or else it's going gonna, it's gonna to destroy me. It's going to destroy me. It's time to get off the va- ground and listen to those voices. And step four, it means doing the scary things. What do I mean? This man was on the map for 38 years. Now being told to move towards Jesus rather than moving towards the water. Can I just tell you something? Jesus did not come for, for, to participate in this man's agenda, or, nor did he come to participate in our agenda. He came to invite us to participate in his kingdom, to experience him. He invites you into his. And the scary thing that we need to wrestle with as we experience Jesus, and he says to get off your mat, is the question we all wrestle with, is this really going to work? I've trusted in this so my whole life. Is Jesus really going to work? Jesus is calling us to, to walk towards him, not allowing those things that we continually surround ourselves with that's just enabling us and, and keeping us from walking with him. He calls you to walk with him. And when he calls you, he will be faithful. First Thessalonians 5, it says, faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. My friends, he who calls you will be faithful, and Jesus will always give you strength to whatever he calls you to, he will equip you for. He will give you the strength and he will always walk by your side. But you know what's the hardest part? That first step. That first step is always the hardest part, the hardest one to take. In anything we do, that first step is always the challenge. You know the Saturn V rocket that took the Apollo capsules into space? When it took off, it weighed six and a half million pounds. Is how much that rocket weighed. It uses 5 million pounds of fuel in the first 150 seconds, which by that point, the rocket is 38 miles in the sky. So think about that. Do the math. Three-fourths of the rocket fuel is used up to get 38 miles out of the 240,000 miles it has to go on its journey. You know what that says? The hardest part of anything is the first step. But once you take that first step, oh, you begin to experience what God wants to do in your life. But he's just waiting you to take that first step towards him. And then when you take that step, step five involves making different choices. Jesus found the man later at the end of the story and says, don't return to your old life. He said, sin no more or worse things will come upon you. You walked with me, you stepped towards me. Don't you dare go back to what you used to be doing. Don't you dare allow the old life to get back at you. Allow me to transform you. I want to free you, I want you to keep you there. It's written in Proverbs 26, like a, 26, like a dog that returns to its vomit. It's a fool who repeats his folly. That's disgusting stuff. We don't want to go back there is what he's saying. Don't return to that. And my friend, the point is this. What you do with your liberty 
oftentimes can put you back into captivity. It's about making the next right choice, constantly running towards him. John 8, 36, Jesus says, the son will make you free and you will be free indeed. He wants to keep you there. In John 12, it says, if I am lifted up from the, he- from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Over and over again throughout the scriptures, Jesus is saying, I want to bring the freedom into your life. I want to be the path you walk to experience hope that's undeniable in this world. But you've got to walk with me. Don't you dare go back to your old self. Don't you dare go back to what you used to be doing. You keep walking towards me. That's the ultimate application to get us off the ground. Later on in John 5, Jesus is speaking and says this, beginning in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave the Son who also to have life in himself. And he gave him the authority to ex- execute judgment because he is the son of God. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. All throughout the gospel, Jesus is revealing, he's calling out and he's proclaiming, a time will come when you have the choice no more. But I'm calling you to follow me now. I'm calling you to come towards me now. And in John 5, 40, he says, some will be unwilling. Some will choose not to come. Some will choose not to experience the freedom I have to give. Some will choose to stay on their mat. My friends, Jesus wants desperately for you to experience the life that only he provides. He wants you to stop believing in the faulty assumptions that we've created for ourselves that this gives me happiness, this completes me, this gives me hope. When in reality, all that stuff is holding you back from truly experiencing him. You see, he wants to get you off the ground. He wants you to rise up and walk in the freedom that only he provides. But in order to do that, you must turn your back on whatever you think your happiness is built in and run towards eternity that's found in him. He raised himself up from the earth. He defeated the grave so that we have the opportunity to get off our mats and walk again. My friends, what mat are you sitting on today? It's time to get up and choose Him. It's time to experience Him. Maybe you need someone to pray with you right now today. Someone to talk to about the mat you've been on, the dysfunction you've been living in, the challenges you've been dealing with, the things that you put your hope into. There's leaders around this room And as we close out and singing, even while the song's going on, I encourage you, if you need someone to pray with you, go find one of these people right now. If you need to talk to somebody about, I need to get off my mat. I need to chase Jesus. I need him in my life. I need his freedom. If you 
you want to talk to somebody about how you can experience his freedom today, go talk to one of our leaders. But it's time to get off your mat and walk with him.